Hi, everyone. My name is Michelle from the Table Church in Uniontown. Thanks for tuning into our podcast this week. We're happy you're here. This is the live recording from last Sunday's sermon. We hope that as you listen, you'll more deeply understand the truth of God's Word and how much He loves you. Let's jump into the Word. Before I get started this morning, I just want to uh, just say thank you to everyone that helped make yesterday happen. Yesterday's Low Country Boil was a great time, uh, great success. I think just smoother than the year before even. And so uh, if you participated, helped move inflatables, cooked things, set things out, whatever, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, if you just came and ate even, thank you for that. And uh, if you didn't, hopefully you hear just how much you missed out this year and you come next year. And uh, two, if you did miss out, there's some food in the back, some, some desserts and some watermelon and stuff. So make sure you grab some of that um, on your way out this morning. So uh, this morning, our reading is from Psalm 135 as we continue in our series in the Psalms. And um, I'll give you a moment to get there in your Bibles this morning. If you don't have a Bible, the passage will be on the screen behind me. And uh, if you don't have a Bible at all, just not one with you, please see me. I would love to make sure that we get one in your hands, uh, especially one that you understand. So, Psalm 135. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, you servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for it is delightful. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his treasured possession. For I know that the Lord is great. Our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth in the seas and all the depths. He causes the clouds to rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings the wind from the storehouses. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both people and animals. He sent signs and wonders against you, Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his officials. He struck down many nations and slaughtered mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and all the kings of Canaan. He gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his people, Israel. Lord, your name endures forever, your reputation, Lord, through all generations. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are of silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. Indeed, there is no breath in their mouths. Those who make them are just like them as are all who trust in them. House of Israel, bless the Lord. House of Aaron, bless the Lord. House of Levi, bless the Lord. You who revere the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion. He dwells in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. This is the word of the Lord. So who is it? Jordan, LeBron, Bill Russell, he needs to be referred to by his full name, so it can't be him. Kareem, Kobe, who is the GOAT, the greatest of all time? That's that's a captivating conversation to me. Of course, baseball, we know, is the greatest game in the world, but you can't have, 
Oh, that wasn't one of my jokes. That was just. Uh, but you can't have a goat conversation as easily about baseball because there are two different games essentially being played, pitching versus hitters and fielders, right? Until now, of course, we will likely in 10 years be able to affirm that Shohei Otani is probably the GOAT. But football, a little easier because you're thinking about quarterbacks, right? You don't really care about a punter or an offensive lineman in that conversation. Joe Thomas, if you're joining us online this morning, I'm sorry. God bless you. It was a joy for people to watch you all those years just not let someone get past you. That's great. But basketball is just really set up for these goat conversations, right? Even across eras, it's more of like an apple to apples comparison. Goat, again, for those of you who are lost, is an acronym for greatest of all time. So who is the greatest of all time? This, this question comes up each time someone adds like a championship to an already impressive resume. And if you're correct, you say it's MJ. And if you're young and a bit uninformed, you say it's LeBron, right? We love to talk about greatness until we are talking about God, it seems. I found in my time in the church, which has been pretty much my entire life, that we don't talk much about how great God is. Sure, we might have one time sung that now dated song by, I, I think, Rich Mullins, How Great Is Our God. Is that Rich Mullins? Okay, uh, but, but I love being part of a small church means you have like real-time fact-checking, by the way. It's really great. You can't do it in like a church of 500 people. You just can't do that, right? But beyond singing that song maybe once or twice, do we really talk a lot about God's greatness? I mean, it's kind of implied when creation comes up. We, we talk about God's goodness, even his kindness, I think is what we really mean by that when we say his goodness, how how kind he is that he would send his son to die for sinners like us, that he would rescue us. He's good. We talk about that. And this psalm talks about his goodness, and it talks about his greatness too. Really, it's about the reasons that he is worthy of worship. And so the psalm starts with a word of command. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise. Give praise, you servants of the Lord who stand in the house of the Lord in the courts of the house of the Lord. He starts by telling people, praise God, just do it. Praise this God, praise Yahweh. And then, as if you heard him and said, why? He gives you these three reasons why you should praise God. And the first one is that he's good in verses three and four. And the second one is that he's great, which I alluded to a bit a second ago. We read about that in verses five through 12. And then the third one is that he vindicates and he has compassion, verses 13 and 14. And then lastly, we'll discover the consequences of what or whom we decide to worship. So first, praise the Lord for the Lord is good. Do you, do you know this morning that God is good? Dumb question on the surface, isn't it? I know you're just kind of like, of course, I know that God is good. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. You've recited that a million times if you went to one of those churches, you know, right? But do you know it? Do you like really know it? Does, does something inside you just instinctually respond when you hear someone say, God is good? Does something in you cry out? Does something in you say, yes, because you so deeply know and have experienced the goodness of God? Have you experienced his goodness on a personal level? Because if you haven't known him, if you haven't experienced him, if he hasn't 
saved you, forgiven you, sent Jesus to, to purchase your life, you can't truly know his goodness yet. You can read about his goodness. You can read the Bible and read about what God has done. And you can read this psalm this morning and say, well, okay, it says God is good. I, I trust it. You can't know he's good, though. You can't know it if you don't know him. Your heart just can't truly know it. And here's why. And the psalmist tells us, he tells God's people to praise him, people in the Lord's house. And then he says, he's good, praise his name for it's delightful. And we ask, does he mean God's name is delightful or, or praising God's name is delightful? We're not one hundo on that, which he means, but either way, both true. And then he says for. And if you see for, you know, he's saying because essentially, praise the Lord for he is good. His name is delightful for, because he has chosen Jacob for himself. He has chosen Israel as his treasured possession. That's how you know he's good. He picked Israel. He chose Israel. And so the, those of you that are his, the psalmist is saying, you, Israel, praise him because in his goodness, he picked you. Now, why is it good for God to pick Israel? Why does that make him good? Now, let's just imagine for a moment, we're going to divide this room in, into two teams, and we're going to go to the nearest baseball field. I brought gloves and bats, and we're going to have an inner church softball game. High stakes, bragging rights, the whole thing, flags fly forever, you know? This is for all the marbles. And I'm one of the captains. The other captain is my arch nemesis, Jake. And on this, on this particular Sunday, on this particular Sunday that this is going to happen, uh, it just so happens that Shohei Otani happens to be attending the service. The Angels playing the Guardians on a Monday, had a day off in Cleveland, not a ton to do there. He's heard about this young upstart church, and he just has to see it for himself. So he zips down to Uniontown. Uh, his contract doesn't prohibit him from playing in an uh, inner church softball game, he's got the time perfect. And I get the first pick in the draft, because I'm the pastor and I've made that rule. And I, and I look at the field and I see all of you. And I don't hesitate. With the first pick of the draft, I take Nathan. Now, of course I don't take Nathan. Are you kidding me? I take Shohei with the first pick in the draft. Nathan's gonna be available later, probably. So maybe not. He might, go, he might go round one, number two. Him and Jake are boys, but I'm just saying. So we obviously go out and destroy the other team. I'll never let any of you forget it. It's awesome. Here's my question. Was it good of me? Was it good of me to choose Shohei to be on my team first overall? Was that nice or kind of me? Do I deserve praise for that? He might thank me through his translator before he leaves because he seems to be a very polite young man. But do I deserve thanks or praise for that? Of course not. Of course I don't. Why? Because it advantaged me to pick him. It was a deal that worked out in my favor. He wasn't advantaged by me picking him. I mean, he might have looked at my team compared to the Angels and been like, eh, you know. But 
He's so much bigger than a silly inner church baseball game. He's possibly the greatest baseball player to ever walk the earth. He didn't need me. I needed him, right? God was complete without Israel. He was complete. Completely loved, experiencing complete community with the Trinity. God lacked nothing. God is not incomplete in any way, is he? If he was, it wouldn't be God. But this God that needs nothing, this God that lacks nothing, chose a people. He chose Israel. And if you've read the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, you know Israel is not great. Israel is not impressive. No, not at all. You read about them, and the things that come up is their impatience, their complaining, their idolatry, their fickleness. And you're like, God, you could have picked a better people than this, surely. You might wonder. Okay, God chose Israel. Bible's clear about that. I'm not an Israelite. So good for Israel, I guess. What does it have to do with me? But 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 tells us this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If you are a Christian, if you are one of the rescued ones here this morning that is the church, you are a chosen one. You're a chosen one. God chose you. You were once not a people, but now you are God's people. You once hadn't received mercy, but now you have received it. God picked you. God picked you. And guess what? It's not to God's advantage to have you, right? He didn't bring a ringer into his kingdom when he saved you. He didn't bring the most capable, holy person that he could find. No, he brought a sinner whom he would have to send his son to die to to reconcile you to him. Someone that wouldn't meet him halfway, but for whom he would have to do all the work of saving. He's good to make you his own because he isn't getting something out of this. You are. He loves you that much that he selflessly brought you to himself. Of course he sings over you, right? He's delighted by you. If he had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it, so on and so forth. Yes, of course that's true. But you and I still aren't bringing a lot to the table, just mostly our sinful foibles. Here they are. And God, he still wants us, not just tolerates us. He wants us, not needs us, wants us. God wants you. How good is he? How good is he that he would give his son to reconcile people like us to him? So the first reason that he's praiseworthy that this psalmist points out is that he's good. He's he's so good that he would choose for himself a flawed, fickle, sinful people. The second reason for praising this God is that he's great. And by great, I think he means supreme or mighty. He isn't subservient or below anyone or anything. He does what no one else can do. Verse 5, for I know the Lord is great. The Lord is greater than all God's 
whatever other gods you can conjure up in your mind. They have, may have been thinking about pagan gods as, as they read this psalm in the time that it was written. Better than any god made by human hands is the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's, it's not even a contest. And you might say, well, idols are from an archaic, less educated society than America in 2023, but we all worship something other than God at times. The human heart is an idol factory. We're constantly looking to something else or someone else to save us. And we must constantly bring ourselves back to the true God. No, no other God that we might devote ourselves to has the ability to fulfill us when we give our lives to it. And no other God has the ability to forgive us when we fail it. Only the true God revealed in Jesus Christ is, is greater than all the other gods. And, and we need to regularly remember this. And then verse 6 tells us, The Lord does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth and the seas and all the depths. Only our God can do whatever he pleases. These false gods they were thinking of were just mostly not real. Think of the Israelites crafting a golden calf. Can that God do whatever it pleases? No way. It can't talk, can't move, can't breathe, can't, can't anything. But the Lord does whatever he pleases in heaven, whatever he pleases on earth, whatever he pleases on the seas and all the depths. There's nothing in existence outside of the reign of this God. Verse 7, he causes the clouds to rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings the wind from its storehouses. The psalmist points to the weather. Can Baal do that? Can Caesar do that? Can Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Ron DeSantis do that? Can your career or your spouse do that? Can sex or drugs or alcohol or the party scene or fame or popularity, can it do that? Whatever your God of choice is, can they make a cloud? Can they speak lightning into existence? Can they make a tornado of wind with a thought? Saturday morning, there were some intense thunderstorms here, loud cracks of thunder, lightning that lit up the darkness of the early morning. Can the gods that we sometimes get caught up in worshiping do that? And the answer is, of course they can't. Of course they can't. But if, if there's one that can, this is the psalmist's point here, if there's one that can do that, then we should fear and honor and pay homage to that one, to that God. And if that God exists in contrast, what can anyone else's opinion matter to us? He, this one, starting in verse 8, he struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both people and animals. He sent signs and wonders against you, Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his officials. He struck down many nations, slaughtered mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and all the kings of Canaan. He gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his people Israel, the people he chose. Don't you see this God has acted in history. You've, you've witnessed his, he saved his people from Egyptian slavery. He struck people down. He defeated mighty kings. The mightiest kings you can think of are nothing to this God. He took from them and gave to his chosen people. He took from the obviously mighty and gave to a less mighty people who were the people of a mighty God. This God deserves your reverence. And you might say, well, as I look at the things he's done, I perhaps have some opinions about how he's handled those things. 
with a supreme God, there's not much room for, for disagreement, logically. Now, is there? When you and I disagree with each other, we're equals. Even if you're my boss or vice versa, we're still humans. There's, there's equality there. But with this God, who are you to tell him how he should and shouldn't run this world? I think of some of God's questions for Job in the 38th chapter of Job. Can, this is God talking. Can you bring out the constellations in their season? Can you lead the bear and her cubs? Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you impose its authority on earth? Can you command the clouds so that a flood of water covers you? Can you send out lightning bolts and they go, do they report to you? Here we are. I love when God gets a little sarcastic. And our answer is, of course not. Of course not. Of course we can't do those things only God can do those things. And he created you. He created the world. He's in a position you will never, ever find yourself in, in which which you and I know nothing about. And so the only thing left to do is pay homage to him because he's great. And if he were just mighty, but not good, it would be possible that he's a tyrant. But he is good. He has chosen a people. He is kind. He loves people without regard to their worthiness. If he wiped out humanity, he would be totally just in doing so. But mercy led this mighty, great God to send his son as a ransom so that many would be rescued and might have eternal life. He's great, but he's also good. and He deserves worship. The biblical creation story and its time is a juxtaposition to other creation stories of its day. And while these false creation stories about false gods always portray them as powerful and mighty, but morally bankrupt with only selfish intentions for humanity, the Bible from cover to cover paints a picture of a God who is every bit as powerful and mighty, the one who loves human beings. And that speaks to the third reason this God is praiseworthy. He vindicates and he has compassion. Lord, this is in verse 13, your name endures forever, your reputation, Lord, through all generations, for the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. You can trust, if this God is your God, that you will one day be ultimately vindicated and you will be the recipient of compassion. And those words are all about judgment. You you the the lord the lord will vindicate his people literally the lord will judge on behalf of his people he will judge on behalf of his people all the ways that you've been hurt all the ways people have hurt you all the ways people have wounded you the ways you've been on the the receiving end of injustice the way that things have not been fair for you our god sees those things and one day there will be justice you will see those things made right god hasn't overlooked or forgotten a single one of those things. You will one day receive a satisfying resolution to all the ways you've been cheated, hurt, abused, mistreated, and so on. And then it says, he'll have compassion on his people. What does that mean? It's also about judgment. It means he will relent from judging you. While you and I deserve judgment for some things, right? You can all nod in agreement. We've done things wrong. We've lied. We've cheated. We've hurt people. All of us deserve judgment on some level. But God will 
relent. He will have compassion. He will see us in our broken state sinners who cannot save themselves, people in bondage to sin who cannot free themselves, as the Lutheran confession says, and he will forgive us. Jesus took the judgment that God's people have coming to us, so we only get the reward that Jesus had coming to him. That is the gospel. That's the good news. God vindicates us, judges on our behalf, all the while relenting in judging us as we deserve. Let's pick up in verse 15 here. The idols of the nations are of silver and gold, made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. Indeed, there is no breath in their mouths. Those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. Verse 18 could also be, those who make them will become like them. Here's the truth. You will become what you worship. Praise the Lord, the psalmist commands. Give God your worship. If you don't, if you worship something else, then you will become like that thing. These idols that people were making in this time, they're just that, made by human hands. They weren't living. Humans obviously can't animate things, right? They were just inanimate objects. No, no words, no thoughts, no hearts, no souls. And the psalmist warns us, people who make idols become like them. All who worship them do too. You become like what you worship. You become like what you worship. You will, you will worship one of two things, something that will one day perish or something eternal. Those are the only categories. And you will become like what you worship, something that will one day perish or something eternal. So what's it going to be? Do you, do you want to see and speak and breathe and hear in the age to come? Or do you want to chase after the things of this world, ascribing them ultimate worth? Because that's a, a good working definition of worship, maybe, ascribing ultimate worth to something. And then idolatry is taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing. And so if you chase after and ascribe ultimate worth to something other than God, you will become like that thing. You can't take money with you. You can't take your pursuit of lust with you. You can't take your career with you. Those things are perishing. And if they are your God, if they are your God, you will suffer the same fate. But if you ascribe ultimate worth to God, you'll be like God. Eternal, joyful, full of peace, good, kind, gentle, self-controlled. So the question is, what what do you want to become? Michelle, you can come up. How great is this God that made us? This God that we were meant to glorify. The Westminster Catechism tells us the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Have you personalized that truth? The chief end of Joey is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The chief end of Sarah is to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The, the chief end of Rob is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Or is it often the chief end of, insert your name here, is to chase pleasure until you die? Or your chief end is to improve your portfolio, get all the to cool toys you can, get the girl, get the house, get the job. 
What is, what is your life going to be about? What is your chief end? Who will you worship? Because you will become like what you worship. Jesus, his life clearly about the Father, submitted to the Father's will, set on the Father's glory. That's why he submitted himself to God's will even when he would have loved another option. If you think about the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your be done. Even when it cost him his life. And we follow his example, submitting our whole lives to the only God worthy of our worship. And we, we remember the example that Jesus set of this every week as we take communion. This Jesus who on the night that he was betrayed took the bread and broke it saying, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, after supper, taking the cup again, giving thanks said, this is a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. We remember Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection every week as we take communion. And we do so by taking the bread and, and dipping it in the cup. And so this morning, as, as Michelle plays and you prepare your heart for communion, ask yourself, ask God himself, what am I worshiping? What, what good thing am I making an ultimate thing? Who, what's, what's keeping me from being enamored by your greatness, wooed? by your goodness or believing believing that you will vindicate and have compassion on me. And then when you're ready, you can stand and walk to the back and take communion, which you can find in the back on uh, my left or the, if, you if you require gluten-free communion, the back on my right. If somebody could pull those tables out, I forgot to do that this morning. Uh, my friends Randy and Rachel will be available to pray. They'll be, Randy will be over here, Rachel will be over here. If you need somebody to pray for you, if you're going through something right now and you would just value a hand on your shoulder and somebody, you know, speaking to God on your behalf, they would love to do that for you this morning. And this is just your time, so I'm going to pray. Um, you do whatever you need to do and uh, pray yourself. Have someone pray for you, and then when you're ready, take communion. Father, um, we talked so much about your goodness, and I'm convicted that I'm not always enamored by how great and mighty you are. I don't take time to stop and think about that. And just the beautiful tension between a God who is ultimately powerful and yet ultimately gentle and kind and compassionate. So God, we just praise you for your character and your power uh, as we look forward to the God who who vindicates us and, and who relents in judging us all because of what your son Jesus did. And we pray this in, in his name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our Sunday service. If you're interested in joining us in the future, you can find us at 17766 Cleveland Avenue Northwest on Sunday mornings at 10. Additionally, we host a meal every first and third Sunday after service in order to fellowship with one another. Visit aseatforyou.org for more information. We hope you'll join us next week. Go in peace.